Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to a special edition of Seven Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein. I'm the host of the program. I am being joined by our CEO and founder, Simon Erickson. Simon, I'm looking a little redder than normal. I promise you, I was wearing sunblock, spent <laughs> Saturday at the beach, which is the first time in a year I've gone to the beach, uh, largely because we're all vaccinated. And even though the beach is outside, I live in Florida and people are not always super smart. Like, so went to the beach. It was a little stormy. We had a bad storm on Sunday, so you couldn't really go in the water. I went into to about my knees. And then when we got home from the beach, I went to the pool. So my weekend was delightful. How about yours? Lots of water. That's fantastic, Dan. We did gardening here in Houston. This is like the couple of weeks of nice weather we get before it starts getting incredibly hot. So we had to spend some time outside out here in the Houston area. Simon, I have a black thumb. So if I ever come to visit, don't let me near your garden. The plants <laughs> will just wilt like in a commercial for like Ziploc bags. Do uh, with, with that, this is a very special episode. It's very rare that I hand over the reins of the show. It's, it's happened a few times to interview me, but it's generally happened because we have a new advisor and that's what we are announcing today. We'd love your questions. We'd love your comments. We're going to talk about healthcare after that. But Simon Erickson, why don't you take over the show and introduce our newest advisor here at Seven Investing? Well, thanks very much, Dan. And to kind of set the scene for this, you know, we've accomplished a lot of things in this past year that we've been open as Seven Investing. And I'm very proud of a lot of them. But I think that the thing I'm actually the most proud about is the team that we put together here, right? Just to have the brain power all together into the same company makes it so much fun every month to see the companies that we recommend in our recommendation reports. And then on top of that, just to see the ambition of this team is incredible. I mean, to see everybody that's on the same page, pushing each other farther uh, farther along to, to accomplish our mission of empowering others to invest in the stock market's greatest opportunities. It's something we live every day. It's something that I'm extremely proud of. And even Sam Bailey, who's on the call with us here behind the scenes right now, told me one day, she said, a couple of days ago, she said, Simon, the team that you have put together here with Seven Investing is truly incredible. I said back, Sam, that is probably the best compliment I could ever ask for. And so with all of that as a foundation, I'm extremely excited today to announce that we are expanding our seven investing team even farther and hiring and bringing in our seventh lead advisor. And our seventh advisor is Dana Abramovitz. And Dana, I would like to start first and foremost by <laughs> saying welcome to seven investing. Thanks so much. Dana, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your style of investing, the types of companies you tend to look for, your passion for healthcare, and your background. But let's kind of get started on a fun note of how you and I had met six or seven years ago, I want to say. It was through South by Southwest, yeah. uh, which for those for those who have been to the South by Southwest conference, it's incredible. It's, it's probably one of the best conferences of the year. And the best part of the conference track was the healthcare track. And I found out you were doing all of the programming and inviting all of the companies and the speakers and the panelists to speak at that. And it was an incredible experience for me learning about everything in healthcare. I'm even more excited to be learning about healthcare now working alongside you here at Seven Investing. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's, um, it was a wonderful job um, to work at South by Southwest. I felt like my my role was to really listen to you know what people were saying about healthcare, who was innovating, and then you know figuring out who those thought leaders were, and then give them a platform from which to speak. So, um, yeah, that was that was really fun, and yeah, it was always fun. You know, our our annual chat, um, you know, over you know I don't know at the trade show or talking about some company. Um, so that was always fun. 
Yeah, lots of coffee and breakfast tacos, as I remember in the Austin area. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, Danny, well, I'll probably say innovative about 20 times here, but just kind of to give people a feel for your background, uh, you have an incredible resume, by the way. You have a <laughs> bachelor's in pharmaceutical service sciences from Purdue. You have a PhD in biochemistry from Columbia. You have a master's degree in management from Stanford and also a postdoc research fellowship at the Scripps Research Institute. That's a very impressive resume. A lot of it looks like it's pretty healthcare heavy. Uh, what can you tell me about what you've really been proud of accomplishing in your professional career and what else do you also want to accomplish? Yeah, so um, it was certainly the work that I did at South by Southwest was some of the, the work that I was most proud of. Um, you know, again, that allowed me to take all of the work that I had done throughout my entire career. So starting in pharmacy, um, you know, really starting to understand things at the molecular level, doing my postdoc. Um, you know, I worked at a startup company. I you know, went to business school, transitioned to healthcare, and then you know, at South by Southwest, and you know, now at Seven Investing, kind of bringing all of that together. Um, and you know, I think you know, each thing that I do, right, I'm learning more, and I'm incorporating that into what I can provide. So, you know, just um, you know, from you know, the very basics at, you know, anatomy and the molecular level and how things work biologically um, and then healthcare to understanding healthcare systems. Um, you know, so it's, it's the whole, whole gamut. And that was, you know, one of the nice things about, you know, both my career and how I was able to, you know, plug into South by Southwest and have that broad view. And then now combining, you know, all that innovation, all that, um, that work, um, you know, seeing all the different companies with my business school experience and training um, to really understand, you know, the, the fundamentals of different companies um, so that we can um, just kind of help our, um, you know, the investors really understand, you know, what they're, um, you know, what they're looking at and, and why, you know, choose one company over another. Yeah. And Dana, I, I would say you're always several steps ahead of the curve. Right. That's something that I really always enjoyed was, you know, you see kind of the headlines, you see kind of the media picking up on on what's trending or what's, you know, in, in the news right now. But I think that you really understand the fundamental science of what's going on. And so when you were inviting speakers for South by Southwest or doing a Ph.D. or a postdoc fellowship or anything, it's really understanding of the science itself. And, and when we say innovative, it, it's like, what is the impact this is going to have, uh, not just for investors in the financial side, but for healthcare and the medical community as a whole? I think you've done a fantastic job with that. I've certainly learned a lot from you over the years. Um, our audience is mostly individual investors for Seven Investing. Yeah. And I know that you've worked with so many startups for several years. You've been a consultant. You've worked on the academic side of it. Uh, what kind of companies do you tend to look for? Is there certain types of maybe smaller, earlier stage healthcare companies or larger drug makers or a little bit of everything on the buffet? What are you looking for at Seven Investing here? Well, you know, I mean, healthcare is so broad. Right. You know, I mean, like you can, you know, like, you know, like small biotech companies, you know, big pharma, but then also, you know, companies that are addressing, um, you know, healthcare, hospital systems, um, you know, uh, medical devices. I mean, it runs the full gamut. And, you know, that's that's kind of one of the nice things, you know, at South by Southwest um, that I got to really broaden my focus. Um, and so, you know, I can look across all of healthcare um, and kind of look at that. You know, my, um, you know, the, the main thing that when I'm looking at companies, um, 
you know, is, is, you know, all across, um, healthcare, but making sure that, um, you know, the, the, the company's innovative, that it is kind of following a line with, you know, where healthcare administration and policy is going so that it's, you know, set up for, you know, that long-term growth um, as you know, new, new administrations come in and, and change policies, you know, we have to make sure that, you know, all the companies that are, um, you know, working in the healthcare space, you know, a lot of times their revenue is, is um, based on reimbursement models. And so just really understanding that. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm hoping to provide, um, you know, something across the entire healthcare spectrum. Um, but, you know, certainly my background um, is, you know, in the molecules. So I will, you know, dive deep into the science, especially in the biotech and the, the pharma companies to really understand and, and help um, our investors, you know, figure that out. Because a lot of times, you know, the science is really complicated um, just because most people don't study science, right? And, and I have that advantage where, you know, I've spent my entire decades long career studying the science um, and then flavoring in um, the, the finance component so that I can really provide that um, that broader view. Well, I'm extremely excited to be working with you here at Seven Investing, Dana. You know, for everyone who wants to follow Dana, she's at Dana Abramovitz Seven uh, on Twitter. We also, uh, you can always send an email to us at info at seveninvesting.com, welcoming her to the team. I really do mean this when I say that. I think that out of everyone that I know, I think Dana knows more than anyone when it comes to what's going on in healthcare. And this is an industry that's $4 trillion dollars in the United States. Huge opportunity for large and small companies alike. I'm excited to go out and find the opportunities for investors out there. Dana, once again, welcome to 7investing. Thanks so much. And Dan, I'll hand it back to you on that note to take us to the rest of the program. We're going to talk three key trends in healthcare. We are so excited to have Dana here. Uh, the, the whole team, we didn't know her. This is a little different than some of the other picks where at least some of the team knew her, but we were all really excited to meet her. And we're excited to start seeing the stocks she picks. Uh, and Simon, our new picks come out on May 1st. I know I'm really excited about my pick. I, I think people are going to be a little bit surprised about my pick. But if someone wants access to the seven investing picks, because we don't just do the free show and the podcast, we sell our seven highest conviction picks each month. Every advisor makes a pick, writes an in-depth recommendation. We tape a video call, probably, I don't know, what's it going to be, like four hours where we're all- 17 hours probably, Dan, this month. Yeah, <laughs> where we all create a slideshow and present our pick and everyone can push back. So you're going to get to watch Dana ask Max questions because none of us are really all that good at doing that. Uh, you're going to be able to watch Max X Dana questions. But Simon, if someone wants to join, now one option is that they drive to your house and say it and hand you $17 every month. But that's, <laughs> that's very inefficient. Generally, how would they do it? 7investing.com slash subscribe is how you can sign up with a with subscription for 7investing. Again, like you said, Dan, $17 a month or $170 a year. I really think it's the best deal on the internet out there right now. We've got uh, lots of letters after our names, PhDs and MBAs and masters on this team going out there and finding the best stock market opportunities. Dana's found her first opportunity. We're not going to reveal it on this show, but it was a company I was unaware of before, and I'm actually really excited about it. We're going to reveal her pick and everyone else's pick on May 1st. Simon, aside from being near my wife who has a PhD, the closest I've come to a PhD is renting a rug doctor. Like I, <laughs> I, I am well set up for work 
was not well set up for school. That, that was definitely, I, I, I know a lot of my teachers find it hysterical that I spend my day doing homework essentially now because there was none of that being done when I was actually in school. But we're gonna talk three key trends in healthcare. And as is our tradition on 7investing now, we're gonna throw Dana right into the deep end. It's her first show and we are gonna lead off. Uh, and she wants to talk about what's next for mRNA uh, when it comes to drug development. I will point out that I learned on this show that it's mRNA, not Mr. NA. Like, so this is a new tech for many of us who I've taken the Pfizer vaccine. So I've had an mRNA based vaccine and this is not a technology that the general public really knows about, but it could be a major platform going forward. Dana, what's next for mRNA technology? Um, thanks, Dan. Yeah, no, um, so the M stands for message. So it's messenger RNA. Um, and that's, that's the cool thing, right, is that that message is translating what's in our genes to what our cells are going to turn into a protein. Um, and so uh, mRNA technology and, and just the ability to, um, you know, uh, inject or, you know, give a new cell that, um, that new message for the cellular structure to create is just a new tool for scientists and drug developers. So it's just, a, you know, just another new tool in their toolbox, which is great. Um, the thing, you know, the, the interesting thing, and I know there are a lot of people that are, you know, talking about the vaccines and they're worried about the vaccines and that drives me crazy. Um, uh, it's just, you know, like this is not new, um, you know, messenger RNA. It's just part of our you know, the central dogma of biology and, and how information that's stored in our genes in the form of DNA um, gets translated into protein, which is the, the cellular machinery. Um, and it's, you know, something that people have been studying for, for decades now. Um, and, you know, that's how we were able to turn, you know, all of that knowledge, um, including knowledge that I contributed to, right? So, you know, I, I'm from the RNA field. Um, you know, turning that into um, actionable tool, right? Um, we were able to do it so quickly because you know people have been studying it for so long. So it's you know it's it's not new. It's just that it's now a new tool because we've figured out how to um, deliver it to a cell. Um, and so the the cool thing is, right? And so now you can um, you know use it to treat diseases of misplacing. So um, the process of, I know I'm getting deep into the science. Well, no, no, I was going to say, you're going to have to explain. I've got my coffee. I'm ready, Dana. <laughs> you're going to have to explain misplacing. That is not a term I, I, I've ever heard before. Right. Okay. So, so, um, biology is so awesome, right? So, you know, how can, so our cells are really efficient, right? So we have in our DNA, the ability to have multiple types of information, in one thing, right? In, in, in one piece, in one gene, right? But we can make it into different proteins based on different cells, um, different needs by removing parts of it and splicing it together. And that's all done um, as the RNA, right? So um, uh, the DNA gets transcribed, it becomes a pre-messenger RNA, and then it splices and it, we remove um, bits so introns, splice it all together, and then now you have the mature mRNA, that mature message that gets translated into the protein. So this is basic biology. So from a practical point of view, <laughs> uh, from, from what I've read, 
uh, the COVID vaccine was a relatively easy uh, application of this because of, of how it's delivered. It's not so simple to say that it, the road to other uses of mRNA, it's not necessarily going to go as quickly. And also, we're not going to have half the medical companies in the world pursuing it with billions of dollars. But realistically, what do you think is next in the pipeline that we'll be using mRNA for? Right. So, um, so, you know, my guess, so there are diseases where, you know, that maturation of the message fails, right? So neurological diseases like ALS or Parkinson's is one of those, right? Um, and then there are a lot of diseases where a, um, a protein drug, a biologic is used, right? Um, you know, so insulin, for example, you can, you know, like, you know, people with diabetes can um, use insulin, right? Um, so sometimes that protein um, can't be made into a drug, right? Because um, making that protein in vitro, right? So outside of the cellular machinery doesn't work because the protein has to fold into a three-dimensional shape in order for it to be active. And if you do it outside of the cellular structure, it may not fold into the proper shape or the delivery. So if you have to lyophilize it and reconstitute, so dry it down, remake it into a liquid to inject, um, it may lose its shape, right? But um, with this mRNA technology, you can um, you know, give it to a cell um, and then the cell will make the proper correct protein and it can, it'll do its own folding, right? So you know, that's a you know, possibility. The, the caveat, so, so again, it's a tool, and I'm not saying that everybody's going to be able to do it, right? These are possible um, uses for the technology. Um, you know, there, there are caveats, right? So, you know, making sure that um, the mRNA gets to the right cell type that needs to produce that protein, right? So all cells go through that same, you know, process of ma maturing and making a protein, um, but not every cell needs to make that protein, right? So how do you deliver it to the right cell? So that's going to be a delivery problem. We, you know, we, we see with, um, you know, cancer drugs and, and using antibodies to deliver. So, you know, there's that possibility. It hasn't been tested, right? So, you know, we have that one thing. Um, then the next thing is, um, you know, we're not actually fixing the gene. So that would be a gene editing tool, Right. Um, and so, you know, mRNA degrades, um, you know, a, a patient who would be using this as a treatment would need to, you know, continually make it. Right. And so, you know, like with the vaccine, you know, with the Pfizer and the Moderna, you get two doses. Um, your cell makes the, um, the antibody or the antigen spike protein so that your system can make the, um, the um, antibodies for it. Um, that's a great technology, you know, using it for drug treatment, you know, we're going to have to figure that out and just see if it's something that patients are really going to want to, to utilize. And then, you know, the last one, you know, is, is just titrating and making sure um, the right amount of RNA is producing the right protein, the amount of protein for the, um, the, the treatment. So, you know, there's, there's still a lot to be done, but the cool thing is, and, you know, like I said, you know, people since, um, 
you know, Tom Check won the Nobel Prize for, you know, looking at RNA splicing and seeing cell splicing in 1993. You know, people have been studying, you know, RNA, like what can we do with it, right? So this is just, you know, it's it's a tool that we can do, that we can use. Um, you know, it's really exciting and, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. There's There's lots of potential and possibility. Yet another year, I did not win the Nobel Prize. I didn't do anything worthy of it, but I, I, I kind of feel like I should get one. Anyway, Simon Erickson, you wanted to weigh in here. Well, Dan, first of all, I hope that you make your, your coffee extra strong when we start talking about messenger <laughs> RNA with Dana on the show. Good luck keeping up for, for both of us, right? Um, now, here's the thing. She actually said in our notes that as a grad student, she made messenger RNA. And she yeah. said that to illustrate that this is relatively cheap and, and easy to do. And it's, of course, gotten more efficient. I'm not sure in college I could make coffee. So this is an, <laughs> this is an unbelievably, it, it's weird, weird enough to say, like when I was in college, coffee wasn't as big a thing as it is now. Like there, there wasn't really Starbucks. So, but I am not sure if you gave me a pot in the requisite stuff and you're making mRNA, Max is making who knows what, uh, you, know, it, you know, in his, in his basement. So I, I feel a little bit left behind. That said, I now make an excellent risotto. Simon, you wanted to, you wanted to weigh in with some comments here. But, but this is innovation. I mean, this is, I think, why I'm so excited to work with Dana and, you know, and take notes every time Dana says these things, because this is where the field is heading. This is where the science wants to go. Uh, Dana, one thing that I just wanted to add that you mentioned was the delivery mechanism for, for social these is so important, right? We talk about kind of upstream versus downstream, right? Do we want to edit the genome and change the genes themselves? Or do we want to, you know, change how they get expressed and change the RNA and you make sure that, you know, the proteins that we do not want to be created are not being created. I really like the approach of RNA uh, in, the, in the fact that it's kind of tissue and organ specific, right? You don't have to have it go to your ears and your feet and your toes and your liver all at the same time. You can actually pick where the problems are occurring. And I, I think that that might be one of the most promising areas of this field of research. Yeah, and then, and that, that's gonna be the delivery and, and you know, finding the um, that mechanism to target those individual cells. And, you know, like I mentioned, you know, we are doing it with, um, you know, some cancer technologies and the antibodies and just, you know, we know enough about different cell types and, you know, like what um, types of receptors it has so that we can kind of, you know, target it. But, you know, like, you know, I'm not saying that this is happening tomorrow. I'm just saying that this is now a new tool and we can explore it. And, you know, it's just so exciting that we were able to, um, you know, find a use for this so quickly, um, you know, just because of the years, the decades long um, basic research into this problem. And I'll just jump in and say, thank you, science. Like, like <laughs> as a layperson, it tends to feel like science is standing still because there aren't generally news articles, uh, you know, that, that normal people are reading about, you know, advancements in mRNA. And it takes an awful lot behind the scenes that you don't see before something happens. That's why there's some vaccine skepticism because to, to the average person, they go, wait a minute, did they just spin this vaccine up in, in, in six months? And here's the reality. There's 20 plus years of research going into this and then a need came along. So it's sort of like, you know, if you're really, really good at, uh, you know, starting a fire because you, you, you like to camp and then all of a sudden you find yourself without power in the middle of nowhere, those skills come in. You practice them, you, you learn them. That is what is happening here. But we want to talk three key trends in healthcare. And Dana actually has to leave at about uh, half past. So I wanted to get Simon's in because I think Dana's going to weigh in on this as well. Uh, and Simon wants to talk about can value-based care 
bring down the cost of healthcare. Healthcare, as we know, very, very expensive. I've talked about this many years ago, six or seven, eight now, when I worked at the Boston Globe, I had New York Times health insurance, went to the doctor, knew what I had wrong because my wife had strep throat. The doctor came in and I said, my wife has strep throat. The doctor wrote me a prescription and then left. It took maybe 90 seconds and I got an itemized bill for $570. Now my insurance paid the vast majority of that, but there is no part of that service that was worth $570. I understand you're paying for the expertise, the medical school, all of the, the infrastructure, still not worth $570. <laughs> Simon Erickson, value-based healthcare. Yeah, I think this is one of the big innovations in healthcare, Dan, just like you mentioned, is that yeah, I want to kind of connect the dots between what Dana just said, which is really innovative science, and then the business commercial side of this too, right, of how we're going to pay for, for some things like this. And we started the program talking about $4 trillion a year in America. We've come a long way in getting the cost of developing drugs down, but it still costs on average $1.2 billion in 10 years of scientific research to get anything commercialized and actually out there that you can be purchasing pills. And so how do we address this? You know, when we start talking about things like CAR-T, CRISPR gene editing, uh, mRNA, a lot of these can run over hundred, several hundreds of thousands of dollars per patient per treatment. And I think one of the things that's been holding back a lot of this innovative science has been how does an insurer uh, transition from something that's to something that's so expensive and actually get it adopted in hospitals. And I, I think that this, this concept of value-based care is, is an approach that's going to be seen a lot more in this which is basically pay based on the performance of the drugs and the outcomes that you're seeing in patients and make sure that it's working um, to justify the cost and the ROI of this. And so I wanna give an example of this. You know, There's plenty of them out there, but I like the one of Spark Therapeutics a couple of years ago. Uh, this is a company that was addressing uh, macular degeneration. This is uh, retinal eye diseases, uh, blindness, You know, basically that was found in children, but it was correctable with gene therapies. Uh, and so they released a drug like Sterna that would cost $425,000 per eye or $850,000 for both eyes. A bargain, a bargain at any price. <laughs> it was an incredible bargain compared to, you know, not being able to see the rest of your life, having to have a helper, you know, assist you through everything through decades. It was an incredible bargain. But then if you're paying $850,000 up front, you've got to make sure that it's going to work. And so what did Spark do? You know, they set up uh, for reimbursement. Uh, a three, a short-term efficacy study and then a longer-term durability study where there would be payments that would be made by insurers or whoever the payer was that would come over time as long as the patient responded as they expected to respond. And for a drug like this that showed not higher than 90% efficacy, very, very strong drug, great for science, great for patients, that was made possible by this kind of shift to value-based care. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that, especially as innovation in this field continues. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Simon, I know Dana wants to weigh in, but is this similar to what we're seeing with like a shift to telemedicine and health insurance companies doing things like if you hit your appointments or, you know, if you prove that you, you've gone to the gym or stopped smoking or whatever it is, they're, they're incentivizing actual good health. So is, is incentivizing efficacy, uh, efficacy kind of the same thing? 
Similar in the idea, Dan, I, I think that it really goes after the most expensive conditions out there, right? Like we know we need to be healthy. We know we need fitness data. We want to check in and make sure that, you know, we're, we're running and eating healthy and all those things. But things like immunotherapies, you know, on, in the full field of oncology, some of the stuff that's really, really expensive out there um, needs to be justified that it's working. And I think that this is, you know, one of those fields. Yes, there's the other side of it, too, that's kind of more um, continually checking in on you. But I'm talking about kind of the most expensive treatments that are available. Dana, I know you wanted to get some words in. and I know you have to go. So why don't you say your piece on value-based care? So, yeah. So value-based care is another area where I've, I've done some work um, more recently. Um, and, you know, so... You know, a lot of it came from, um, you know, what the Center for Medicare and Medicaid was um, services were doing, um, you know, coming out of the Affordable Care Act. So, you know, again, innovation, but, you know, innovation um, in terms of, you know, reimbursement and payment and, you know, making sure that, um, you know, patients were getting the services that they were needing that, you know, Medicare and Medicaid were paying for. Right. And so, you know, I, I know that, you know, and, and this was, you know, just beyond necessarily drugs, but, you know, like for, sorry, my phone's ringing, uh, for um, uh, um, like surgeries, um, you know, in, in hospitals, right? So, you know, um, you know, different um, medical devices. So, how do you, um, you know, check on, on those? Things. Sorry, the answering machine is turning on. Someone is very excited about this topic Dana's talking know, about. Right? You know, we've had, like calling we've in. Had, we've had dogs. We've had babies. <laughs> we've had, I, I disappeared once. My computer just went absolutely insane. There is nothing that can't disrupt. We're going to talk about this a lot more. We're going to, Dana's going to be a regular presence here on Seven Investing Now, but she has a pre-existing engagement uh, and has to go. So I don't want her to be late. That would be... I do. I want, I want to say I have a little bit more time watching the time, but I just wanted to say that, you know, like, so value-based care, you know, extends beyond, um, you know, just drug development. And so a lot of the other, you know, things in healthcare. So, you know, like what insurers are doing, what hospital systems are doing, you know, people that are in, you know, the medical devices um, as well. So, um, you know, all of that, all of that focus is going to, you know, play a, a, a part in, um, you know, looking at the companies that we're evaluating. That was Dana Abramovitz. We are so excited to have her as our newest investor on 7investing now. Uh, yeah, actually hit us up at 7investing with, with questions for Dana, uh, podcast topics you'd like her to do with, uh, with myself and Max, uh, segments we, we want to do on this show. It's a different perspective than, fr the, than from where Max Chatsko is coming from, but it's also a very complimentary perspective. So it makes us immeasurably stronger as a team. It is also going to be fun when I talk about retail having a different perspective, being able to talk about that as well. Um, with that, Dana, thank you. Welcome. Thank we you. will see you, if not later this week, certainly next week. And we will see you Friday on the team call, which goes live on the 8th. So if you join at 7investing.com slash subscribe, you will be able to see Dana and her first pick live, well, not live, taped, and defending it, explaining it to all of us. You'll get to watch Max ask some great questions. But with that, I'm gonna talk about the third key healthcare giveaway uh, takeaway. Uh, and that is, can Amazon, Apple, or Google disrupt the healthcare market? So here's how I look at it. You have a lot of insurance companies whose interests are, 
keeping things the same. They they might go incrementally and and maybe they'll make some little changes like paying for a teledoc appointment. They might uh, rotate in different drugs that they'll cover and different things that they won't, but they don't want a disruption. They don't want a disruption because they are the thing being disrupted. So if you look at Amazon, they have every incentive to say, we are spending X amount of billions of dollars a year on employee healthcare. How can we build something for our employees that then becomes something we can roll out to other companies? And that's what they're doing. So they have a system they, they piloted in Seattle where if you wake up, Simon, and you don't feel well, you have the, the sniffles uh, or maybe your, your stomach's not feeling so great, uh, you can have a teledoc appointment. And if the doctor decides you need it, Amazon will dispatch a nurse to your house and that nurse will take vitals, maybe take a blood sample, maybe take some other unfortunate samples, whatever it is you, you need to be giving, uh, they'll do that. So you're having this sort of hybrid approach where you're getting full on care and that can be cheaper than actually going through a health insurance company because there's not necessarily a middleman. And now it might be a contracted model. Amazon uh, uses a lot of contractors uh, to supplement its workforce. So, so like, you know, the same way it's the janitor might be a contractor working for a third company, the nurse and the doctor might work that way as well, but they have the heft to figure this out. Google, Amazon, and Apple also all have healthcare devices. So I am wearing my Apple Watch and my Apple Watch tends to terrify me because I see way too much information about my heart rate. So my, my resting heart rate is in the 60s, but when I'm doing this type of rate, it goes up to about 104. <laughs> that causes me to Google what's a normal heart rate and should your heart rate go up this much just from talking. And so, but it also gives me all sorts of information. Did I move enough today? Did I, did I stand? Uh, my, there's a, a device from Amazon uh, that will actually give you like sleep patterns. And the same thing with Fitbit, which is a Google product where you can wear it and it will tell you you're not sleeping enough, you're not getting enough REM sleep. All of this is gonna sort of filter into being able to disrupt healthcare. One of the things Apple asks for you to do when you wear the watch is can we aggregate your data? So there's an AI into this, Simon. We're gonna talk about AI with Steve on Friday's show uh, based on someone asking us on Twitter. But so imagine if they go and notice a trend of people who are Simon's general health, Simon's in, in good health, he, he, he's in good shape, he, he works out, you know, all of those things. Oh my God, they have a predilection towards some form of cancer or they get ALS at a higher rate or who knows what it is, but there's data you can't necessarily aggregate across doctors and platforms that you can through devices like the Apple Watch or the Fitbit. So I think there's gonna be massive disruption in this space as they learn more data, it can just say, hey, why is there a cancer cluster in, in Houston? And maybe they'll find out that there's something wrong with the water or there's something environmentally causing it. We're going to get actionable changes. We're also going to get much more ability. You know, uh, we've talked about the insurance company. I think Steve uses it, that you let them monitor your driving. And if you prove to be a safe driver, you pay a lower rate. A lot of insurance companies use some form of that, uh, but that particular company is actively monitoring. You might get Hey, Simon, if your watch says that you're, you know, you're getting the proper exercise every day, uh, we'll actually charge you a lower rate. And same thing if, uh, you know, we see that your, your food intake is better, uh, we're going to see a lot of that. And it's really going to upset the status quo. Again, not a lot of incentive for the, the CVSs and the Walgreens and the, the Aetnas and the insurance companies of the world to want this type of change, but we're absolutely going to have it. Uh, Sam Bailey, there's a question from our very own Max Chasco. Let's take that one uh, as 
I think Apple's ongoing privacy push is not so subtle indication of its health ambitions. Uh, privacy and health information go hand in hand. I think you're right. And Apple's been very careful to say that if, if I let them use my health info, no one's going to know it's Dan Klein's health info. It's just going to be put into a group of 47-year-olds, uh, lives in Florida, still could lose a little bit of weight, uh, you know, but is active and works out. Whatever the, the group they decide, it works a lot like television ratings. Like, like with television ratings, we don't actually know what Simon watches, but we know what people like Simon watch. Uh, and that, that sets advertising rates. We're going to see that with healthcare. Simon Erickson, I know you wanted to weigh in here. Um, aside from my being a little bit silly about your particular aggregating information, what did you want to add to the topic of tech and health? Well, I agree with you, Dan. This is a big trend that we should be paying attention to. And, uh, you know, we know that hospitals are overcrowded, especially primary care physicians are overcrowded. The, the system as a whole is kind of stressed out. And there's got to be a more proactive, predictive way to improve healthcare. And this is the way to do it, right? All, all the companies are using AI. All the tech companies know how to do it. It's the exact same way of monitoring your driving. If you're, if you're living a healthy life, to get better rates. And in my opinion, I think this goes to the employers. You know, I think that the way that you actually provide the incentive, because there's a lot of privacy privacy concerns, like you mentioned, people are kind of, ah, I just don't know if I want to have those tech companies um, have access to all my data. But you know, if, if you're working for a company that picks up the tab for most of your healthcare insurance, uh, and they say, hey, if, if you sign up for this program that we have with Apple, we guarantee your data is safe and your privacy is safe. And you're going to get a, a bonus, an incentive of $5,000 a year to do it. And we want to encourage as many people as want to to do this. And if you don't, that's fine, too. It's an opt-in program. I think you probably would get a lot of people that would say, yeah, I'll take the money and I'll be healthier. And uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with this. So we'll see how it plays out. It's definitely an incentive, uh, not only for the system as a whole, but those tech companies. Healthcare is a new frontier for them. Yeah. And, and the reality is these tech companies are so big that it makes sense for them to say, okay, we're spending whatever the number is, 7,000 per year per family of employees, because uh, your health insurance at these companies are really good. Like when I was a contractor at Microsoft, so I wasn't on their healthcare plan, but I was privy to what it was. Uh, and it basically, it didn't quite cover 100%, because if you cover 100%, people take it that don't need it, that have health insurance options from elsewhere, but it covered basically everything. And they realized things like paying for your gym or, or you could buy a piece of exercise equipment every year, that actually improved the health of their workers. We're, we're seeing in the US a change to the attitude of healthcare. I think that there's one thing, well, there's a few things the pandemic has taught us. First, you want the guy making your burrito to have paid sick days because the last thing you want is him to come into work infect a bunch of people because he was worried about getting paid or not getting paid. The second thing we've learned is that if Simon's not feeling well, maybe he can do his meeting over Zoom. It's not that important uh, to be in person. It's nice. I miss in person, but we understand the sort of risk reward of it. That's going to allow companies to experiment. We've seen this on sort of a private level. There are a number of, uh, let's call them faith-based, uh, where people of the same religion are banding together, paying money in, and essentially hiring doctors. And basically all your healthcare needs are free and you're buying uh, you know, disaster insurance in case something wrong happens and you need to go to the hospital or get. So there are all sorts of models and the, the, the breadth, the scale of an Amazon. Imagine if Amazon decides, uh, we're, and they are partnering with other companies, but if they say, hey, any company in a state Amazon uh, has distribution in, you can buy into this. And all of a sudden, a small company like Seven Investing can offer 
Amazon concierge healthcare service. Like that would be a massive, massive benefit. And right now we're, we're, we're a company that has employees in multiple States. It's really, really yeah. Multiple countries, which, yeah. which not an issue there because Australia has, has universal healthcare. So Otterbahn does not need that. Uh, but the rest of us, it would be tricky for you to find healthcare that could operate in each state. It becomes very much like sales tax, which is unbelievably difficult to figure out as you're selling around the country. It's why you don't do it. It's why the, the computer programs do it. So going forward, I think this is what's going to change. And people ask me all the time, you know, do I think Apple can go from a trillion dollar company to a $4 trillion company? Like, and, and I think they can because healthcare is massive and I think it's all going to be different. The, the one thing I would tell you to sell, don't own insurance companies. I don't think the future is bright for things we don't like that don't perform well. How many of you have had a sick relative have to fight for medicine? I have a cousin who's lifelong will be battling leukemia and they found a pill that would work for him and did work for him for a number of years. He's on something else now. And it was, they wouldn't cover it. And like he had to fight it. And eventually they did approve it. But that's a system people don't like. I liken it to cable. We all got cable from our cable provider and watched our bills steadily go up while the service went down until we didn't have to. And we're going to be in a case with healthcare where we don't have to. Well, and Dan, to say to that too, I mean, like, I think that that is something that needs innovation, right? We, ch we chatted about value-based care earlier in the program. And the insurance companies are on the same page. They don't want to just be spending a ton of money for, you know, something that's reactive. They want to be proactive in keeping people healthy too. I think that's going to kind of show, you know, who is ahead of the curve on changing this system. And we, we talked a lot about also kind of the fitness side of this, the, uh, the basic health, the primary care side of it. This is kind of more of a nudge, right? Eat healthier, be healthier, sleep more, the things we kind of already know. That's a very, very different topic than the what I would consider like the really big things that we really should know about, right? Like say we were talking about genomes earlier. Say that I, I am predisposed with the gene that I can see through a, through a DNA sequence that I take uh, that I'm predisposed to develop a certain form of cancer. But if we could correct that really, really early on, I wouldn't get it. And I wouldn't have to go through all the treatment later on in life. That's a much, much bigger problem than just saying, hey, you sign me, you need to sleep more. And so like the diagnostic side of this, especially in oncology and the more expensive, more serious conditions, uh, that's going to be really where, where people are going to say, hey, AI, get this right. Make sure you're right. We can't be 95% sure. We need to be 100% sure that this is what you see and this is how we treat it. Um, that's a that's a hundred billion dollars plus per year that we're spending on cancer drugs alone. Never mind the time and the treatment too. That's a huge opportunity for somebody who cracks this. Yeah, and you don't have to be a hundred percent right. So let's say what happens is you run all your markers, you, you do all your genetic testing, and it's a Simon. You are more more likely than most to get a certain type of cancer. But if you avoid these things, you're less likely to get that cancer. You can make. Uh, not painful, proactive steps that, okay, maybe you drink less coffee or, 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 you know, or whatever, don't, don't, have, don't, don't have as much red meat or whatever it is. Well, those aren't major steps and they're going to be beneficial, even if it turns out you beat the odds and don't get that type of cancer. So I think we're going to have two things. We're going to have an absolute medicinal overhaul of how we deliver drugs, how we test drugs. Uh, and then we're going to have a disruption to the system of, you know, I, I, Years ago, I would have said it would have been governmental, where we all understand the idea that we're paying X amount of billions into healthcare and a lot of it is getting wasted and we should probably just all have healthcare. That's become so politicized. I don't expect that to happen. I do think companies, which have a lot of power because they're spending a lot of money on healthcare, are going to look at how they're spending money and 
create or find a better way. And then I don't want to say benevolently because there might be a markup on it. They are then going to make that available to other companies and scale is going to matter. So I'm really excited about this. We're going to be talking about this with the whole team, uh, but most specifically with Dana, with Max. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Simon, this is a weird show. We're not doing many of the regular segments, uh, but we are going to hit our finisher. Sam Bailey, if you could share the graphic. Which market segment will create the most wealth for investors over the next decade? Only about 30% uh, thought it was healthcare. About 56% uh, thought it was artificial intelligence. Uh, 5.5% thought cannabis. Uh, and only 7.7% said space. Simon, if you told me the next 30 years, I think I would have said space. I think <laughs> the, the idea of colonizing, like I believe very much in the we can't stay on Earth, we have to go to other planets. There, you know, First it'll be space tourism, and then it'll be literally like, oh yeah, my kid lives on Neptune or, or, or whatever it happens to be. It's probably not uh, space travel that looks anything like we know now. Which of these segments would you have picked? Uh, I would like the one that combines all four of them together, Dan, where it's healthcare and AI and cannabis and space. There's some opportunity that, that appeals to all of those. Um, you know, three of them go vertical and then and then AI goes horizontal, which, which is why I voted for B for this one, because I think AI can be used kind of for a whole bunch of different industries. Um, and it will be used. It's almost like when we say AI, I, I think that in maybe even five years time, it's not even a buzzword because we're just like, oh, yeah, we're using machine learning for this, this and this part of our business. So I would, I would I, vote B personally. My favorite use of AI, and this flew under the radar, but about 18 months ago, maybe McDonald's bought an AI company. And they use that AI in their drive-through line. So instead of the old line of like, would you like to supersize that? Or would you like fries with that? Or could I interest you in a Coke or whatever they were trying as their upsell? They're using AI to determine based on the weather, the makeup of you, your car, whatever it is, what upsell to sell you. So they might look at me and go, uh, oh, would you like a McFlurry with that? They might look at you and go, oh, hey, can we get you a second cup of coffee there? Whatever yeah. it is. So you're going to see AI you might not even see it. There is AI in places uh, where you don't know where it is. I actually talked with an executive from Chick-fil-A on a cruise ship who said they technically could do a facial scan and know what you're going to order, but they've decided that, you know, that, that their customers would not like that. They don't want to see pre-populated orders, like, but that's how accurate it can be. Amazon, we've talked about this many times, uses AI to pack boxes before you order it. So like today I ordered some tea and some razor blades and they would know at some point before I place that order, that's statistically 100% likely someone's going to order that and they've already packed it before my name goes on the order. So we're going to see AI in all sorts of places. In 10 years, I actually think that's the one. Uh, healthcare, it's a longer horizon. And I think a lot of money is going to move around in that space. It is going to create wealth. It's also going to create failures. Like you're going to see, you know, look, I love CVS, the retail business. I don't love C CVS, the they own Aetna part of the business. I think that's going to be very problematic, but even CVS is working to disrupt healthcare with their minute clinics, uh, with their ability to administer vaccines and, and deal with pretty much everything up to a full physical, like anything, you know, more simple than that, you can handle on a walk-in basis. And that's kind of disrupting their own business, which is a little bit interesting. It's yeah. going to be something we talk about quite a bit on the show. Simon, I'll give you the last word here. And our colleague, Steve Symington, who's on the you know the show right now here with us, he's actually finding those opportunities for the innovators that are using AI for verticals, for specific opportunities. I know that several of his recommendations in recent months have been tapped into AI. Um, pretty exciting stuff, if you ask me, that he's looking at right now, Dan. 
Steve will be joining me and Matt Cochran on the Friday edition of Seven Investing. Now, there could be more of us. We're, we're, we're going to do shows with all six of us or all seven of us. We're going to do shows with just one on one. We're going to mix it up regularly. Today was exciting. I, I have to say, I don't like sitting in the background, but it was fun to watch Dana. And for those of you, uh, you know, who to, to give a little bit behind the scenes, Dana was having technical problems and logged on for the show correctly, maybe 18 seconds before we went live. Literally, <laughs> Yeah, she couldn't get her camera to work. At the last second, one of us figured out, hey, maybe change browsers. She had to restart her computer. It was touch and go whether Dana would have been calling in on a soup can and a string. So it is always <laughs> exciting. Sam Bailey, I apologize for, for any gray hairs this caused you. Uh, we will promise we will, we will try to make that not happen on Wednesday. If you'd like to get in touch with us, it's very easy. It is info at seveninvesting.com. That's our email. That's for questions about your membership. You're thinking about joining. Uh, you got a great business partnership you'd like to talk to us about, whatever it is. If you want to interact with us uh, in more of a dialogue about companies, about you know trends in our spaces, that's at 7investing on Twitter. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn. We're, we are on pretty much every platform you can go to. Uh, Simon's working on our TikTok where he does dance interpretations of our picks. We, we have not allowed that one yet, uh, but we're always happy to talk on Twitter. I'm pretty much on Twitter like 14 hours a day uh, answering comments. I, I pretty much uh, respond to everything. Very excited about all the new people Dana will bring into the fold. Uh, Simon, you knocked it out of the park with this one. I think so, Dan. And, you know, again, at Dana Abramovitz 7, uh, for anyone who wants to follow Dana on, on Twitter, uh, we are also going to send out an invitation later today, not only announcing Dana joining to the team to our subscribers, but also inviting them to a Friday subscriber call where we're going to be talking about our previous recommendations, kind of any questions you want to ask us about our previous picks. Dana's going to be sharing some more insight about healthcare, and we're going to be seeing that later this afternoon. So if you want to get started with 7investing today, it's a great time uh, because Friday is going to be a big day for us to discuss our previous recommendations. Friday is a coffee and a Red Bull day. Just to give you the schedule, <laughs> at 10 o'clock, we talk to our new subscribers. That call is really about how our service works, the basics of investing, how to get a brokerage account, all those sort of things. At 11 to 12.30, we update our members on many of our past picks. We each bring a few to the table, uh, and then we also take questions. We'll also take questions leading up to that. So if you're a member and there's something you want us to talk about, a past pick on that show, hit us up at info at 7investing.com. Don't do it publicly on Twitter because we don't share what the past picks were on Twitter. Uh, but you could certainly DM us. I know that my DMs uh, I have to approve you, but everyone can DM me as long as we're connected. So more than happy to do that. And then, of course, at 1230, we do seven investing now. So that's 10 o'clock to about 130. We take 20 minutes off, more or less. And then we tape our marathon uh, pitch call where we all lay out our case for our May stocks. You want to get in now. 7investing.com. I've said this before. We are charging 7-Eleven prices for a Morton's experience. You are getting a top tier investing service and we've kept it inexpensive because we want everyone to be in. If you're someone spending hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars with a financial advisor, why are you doing that? You could be a member at 7investing and get access to our picks. If you're new to investing, it's affordable. We want everyone in the tent. With that, for Simon Erickson, I am Dan Klein. I am tired. This was an exciting adventurous show. We will be back on Wednesday. See you then. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. 
Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.